Welcome to I Have Issues. I'm Lucifer Storm, and I've got one very quick question for you. That's right, you. How are you? How the devil art thou? Hopefully, you're all keeping well and keeping safe. Now, before I bring my guest onto the show, I just want to remind everyone that currently on Indiegogo, I have a campaign for my forthcoming book, Lady Satan, an Angel in a Killer's Dress. There is not long left to back this book. And you will find a link to this campaign in the description box down below. You will also find it in the chat, whichever side of the screen that happens to be on. However, our guest, he currently has a book on in-demand on Indiegogo called Deep Well, The Caliber of Death. And we're going to bring that man right into the fold as we speak. Please welcome to I Have Issues, Mike Murphy. Mike, how the devil art thou, good sir? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, anytime, man. Anytime. So the best place to begin, as I do with uh, most people who come on this show, is to ask mm -hmm. you the question of where does your comic book journey begin as both a fan and a creator? <clears throat> Sure. Uh, well, I guess as far as uh, being a fan goes, it's kind of a lifelong thing. Um, you know, like one of the <clears throat> one of the first things I ever drew was Superman as a kid. And <clears throat> yeah, it's, you know, comics have just um, they've always kind of been a part of my life, I guess. So, yeah. it, you know, from a very young age, it was it was that kind of like, you know, narrow focus thing of like, well, these things exist. So, you know, obviously someone makes them and I want to be one of those people that makes them. Um, in terms of um, professionally, I, I guess like I first started getting serious about it back in 2005 um, cool. around the time that uh, my, well, then girlfriend, now wife, and I decided awesome. to move out to the West coast and, uh, you know, start a, a studio. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. So yeah, um, it you know it's kind of been a, a decade plus of um, trying to work our way into the mainstream and you know making some progress and then falling backwards and <laughs> yeah we just um, we reached a point where we realized like hey you know we're trying to get into a club that doesn't want us in so <laughs> you know um, between you know CG and the the indie boom that's kind of happening right now we just you know decided to go full crowdfunding and it's been going great for us so far. Awesome. How long have you been crowdfunding for? Um, a little over two years now. We started with um, Samurai and Dinosaurs at the end of 2018. And um, that first campaign for it didn't go through. And then we relaunched in March and that was successful. And we've kind of just been running from there. Fantastic. So, at the moment, you've got Deepwell, the caliber of death, mm -hmm. on uh, on in demand. Can you tell us a little bit more about that book? And by the way, people, the link to that campaign is in the description box down below. Yeah, uh, happy to. I've I've got this pitch down. So, uh, <laughs> Deepwell is a hyper violent action adventure story focusing so on the Grey Devil. Uh, a mysterious vigilante who's out for vengeance against the Block family, a ruthless gang of criminals and killers who run the town of Deepwell with an iron grip. Uh, this is a book for readers who want a little grit mixed in with their optimism, and it's for adults only as it's filled with tons of mature content, 
despite the darkness, there is a redeeming story at its core. We're just a little harsh about getting there. Deepwell is drawn by Raphael Dantas, featuring full colors by me. And the best perk for your investment is the swag bag, which gets you a set of trading cards, pinups by John Malin and Vinny Tartamella, and a map of Deepwell hand-drawn by Raphael. Uh, we'd love to have everyone who's into books filled with sex, violence, uh, and over-the-top action come along with us for the ride. Fantastic. Are, are um, most of your books for a mature audience, or have you done anything that's for an all-ages audience as well? Uh, well, you know, um, well, I, I should say back before uh, the, the pandemic hit, uh, my wife and I, every year for free comic book day, do a, a kid's book called For Hire. Uh, you know, like we usually do store signings at two different stores and we give out copies of them to all the kids. Um, so there's that. And uh, we're definitely planning on doing something with that in the crowdfunding scene over like the next year or so. Nice. Um, but yeah, like these first three books, like I'd say Samurai and Dinosaurs is like a hard PG-13. Mm -hmm. um, but The Gods Fear Me and Deepwell are definitely mature. Excellent. Excellent. I'm a big fan of the of the mature readers content, as you can probably tell. Yeah, yeah. Same, same here, man. Um, you know, it's it, it definitely wasn't planned. It's just kind of played out that way based on the mm -hmm. artists that I've come into contact with and like what I felt that they would be good with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're going to be launching towards the end of March or early April, uh, the red key, and there's going to be some mature elements in that, but it's kind of this over the top, everything that I have to say about superheroes book. Um, and that's definitely going to be a, a bit more approachable for younger audiences. Cool, cool. So, what are some of the um, influences behind the books that you work on? I mean, I see that behind you, you have an all-star Superman poster. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, Superman has always been my favorite character. So, hmm. you know, um, he's, in a weird way, he's kind of always been a part of my life. And uh, yeah. we named our son Clark, so. Oh, nice. Yeah, so there's that. Um, but, yeah, in, in terms of influences on the books um you know with Deepwell specifically it started maybe four or five years ago i was doing a rewatch of uh, deadwood okay. and um i i had one of those moments where like just a random idea pops into your head and you can't shake it um yeah. it, it was it was towards the end of the first season and uh just this thought of like, what if the Lone Ranger just rode into town right now in the middle of like all the chaos and the power plays and the, the personality clashes. Like what if all of a sudden this vigilante figure who has his own agenda uh, and is seeking to right a bunch of wrongs just immediately came in and kind of messed all of that stuff up. And uh, so, you know, over the, over the next like four years or so, like that kind of like stewed in my head and slowly developed. And, um, once I realized that all the criminals in the town weren't separate, you know, uh, agents all vying for sa the same amount of power, but they were one big family. Uh, it kind of added this like Shakespearean George Martin level of like, you know, um, uh, family drama and that's when i knew that you know the the stew was done cooking so to speak yeah 
Awesome, man. Awesome. Um, sticking with the, the Superman thing, what would you say is your comic book creating kryptonite? Um, well, w- when it comes to storytelling, uh, you know, I, I am both a writer and illustrator, but I feel I'm a better writer than illustrator, uh, and I'm yeah. definitely faster. Um, I guess... I guess my biggest weakness is um, nailing nailing a script down in one go. Uh, I'm a type of I'm the type of writer that um, I like to kind of like change and evolve the script as it goes. So yeah. So what the script is from the outline to the script changes, and then you know, uh, I'll continue to do revisions to it even once the artist has it in terms of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I get it back from the artist and I'm doing the lettering or, you know, even if I'm hiring someone to do the lettering, uh, I'll still make changes in the lettering stage based on what the artist has turned in. Um, so, so yeah, in terms of like a, a polished final script that kind of is what it is and set in stone. Like I'm, I'm really bad about being able to nail something like that down. No, I can understand that. I kind of see scripts as being like a living document. So mm. as, as, as you're working on the book, it tends to grow and expand and kind of find its character just that little bit more. Do you right. find that the writing process energizes you or exhausts you? Um, I mean, to be honest, like, like I always say, um, the fun part of it is is the idea itself. You know, like yes. the fun part is when you get that blast of inspiration and you see kind of like a mini movie play out in your head. Yeah. Um, that's the fun part, you know. And like from there on, it becomes it like the work chips away at the fun little by little because it's like, yeah. all right, now I got to. Now I have to figure out the themes, the characters and arcs and all this other stuff. And like, that's a little bit less fun. And then you're like, okay, now I got to put together the outline and you know, like what happens on pages one through 22, one by one. And that's a little bit less fun. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and then by the time you get to actually writing the script, it's kind of like paint by numbers. Um, So yeah, like definitely like the most fun that I have is like the initial, like getting to see the movie in my head. Okay, yeah, no, I can understand that. I think that's the same for for a lot of people. Sure. I, I really like that discovering the story. You've had that idea, and then you're slowly working through it and discovering like nice little tidbits about it and stuff. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, like don't get me wrong. Like there are moments, um, like like for instance, I, I guess there are moments of inspiration during each step of the process where you get like that sudden like burst of endorphins. Um, yeah. It like like there was a I was writing dialogue for uh, a scene in Deepwell, and uh, I wanted one of the characters to be singing an old song. So I referenced uh, I researched old Western songs, and there was one song in particular that I came across that almost verbatim mirrored what's going to be happening to that character later on in the script. And it was it was this kind of kismet thing of like, okay, like the reader is just going to take it as this random song that the character is drunkenly singing. Um, But then later on, like it's, you know, it like it's going to come full. Like, I love moments like that. So there are little little bits here and there. 
Awesome, man. Awesome. What would you say is your most interesting writing quirk? Um, I think, like, I've noticed uh, over the past 10 years or so, I've really tried to, like, delve into, like, what makes, you know, X writer different from Y writer. Um, and I've noticed that there are some writers who operate from a more emotional place and there are some writers Mm. who operate from a more logistical place. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of film, I'd say it's the difference between someone like a Nolan and a Whedon, right? Where, where, where like, you know, like, a Nolan movie is like this like tight, well-oiled machine that you can tell he's like meticulously planned out for like X number of years and then shot, you know? Yeah. And Whedon, I mean, say what you will for the man personally, but you know, like up until Avengers, I'd argue like he could still write a story. And, um, but those stories all were rooted in, you know, uh, character and drama and individual moments between characters. So I'd say that my biggest quirk is I tend to fall more towards the Nolan side of things where the, the emotion comes from the realization of key factors that are like set up in place earlier in the script more so than like, I'm going to have like two characters just sit in a room and like have a big emotional talk, you know, like I'm not, I'm not so good at that stuff. Okay. So would you say that uh, a majority of your stories are more like plot driven than they are character driven in that aspect? Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, I, I definitely do, uh, you know, especially as I've gotten older, I definitely do uh, put in the work to try to focus at least, 20 to 30% more on the characters than I did, you know, right. earlier in my life. Yeah. Um, but so, so there are those, so there are a handful of moments that I allow characters to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I, I guess you could argue it's the difference between like a DC and a Marvel reader, you know, at least back in the day. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I definitely am that type of reader and I guess writer who it's like, I, I get something out of like that that mad rush of ideas and just seeing this like well-oiled machine actually function like that's where I get my enjoyment from. Awesome, man. Uh, do you view the the writing of a mm-hmm. book as being akin to a spiritual practice? Um I don't I don't know that I would say spiritual um because i know for for some people when they write and they get in the zone like it it, it seems to them it's almost like they're meditating when they're doing it oh i think we may have oh you're back okay (laughs) I don't know what that was. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I thought you were just in deep thought then, like, how do I answer this question? I'm not sure. I didn't expect anything like this. Yeah. Um, that was weird. Okay. Um, 
so well yeah um so i don't know that i would say spiritual but mm-hmm. what i what i will say is um i think the difference between a comic that is just i guess entertaining at a superficial level versus okay. versus something that I, I guess sticks with people and makes them want to revisit it over the years. Yeah. Is um, a certain level of personal investment that the writer has to make. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying you necessarily have to like, you know, like tear yourself open and bleed all over the script, but yeah. there, there has to be aspects of you in the work. And I know, especially for like younger creators or creators who are just starting out, they have a hard time with like really, uh, expressing aspects of their personality. Um, but I, I mean, you, you know, even, even in the, in CG, like you look at something like, um, let, let's just go all the way at the top. You look at something like cyber frog and mm-hmm. part of the appeal of that book isn't just, isn't just Ethan's, you know, amazing artwork, but it's also, you can tell that he's invested a part of himself in the characters. Like it, the book comes off like a reflection of himself. Yes. Um, Yes. so, so I, yeah, I don't know about spiritual, but you have to, you have to make the book a part of you and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be willing to like, look at yourself in the mirror and, and observe what you see and be able to put that into the story somehow. Yeah, definitely. Okay, right, cool. Before we carry on with the line of questioning, because I do want to ask you about Comicsgate and, and some other writer-related stuff, just want to say hello to the people in the chat, which includes Yernedge Purden, uh, Comics Talk with Pops Van Sant, Brianna, Bristolian Dave, Tony Wiggins. We also have Zachary. Uh, let me see who else. I know we've got others here. We've got Wally at Terrier Comics as well. We have Chelsea Knight. We have Jacobus. Uh, and I'm sure I'm missing one. We have Edwin as well where did i see you edwin the ace launches january 31st i can't even pronounce that last word that's in your name but you know who you are edwin (laughs) acevedo that's the one (laughs) yeah edwin's a good guy yeah that's the thing everyone who comes into this chat they're all fucking awesome people haven't had one bad person yet and i don't think that's going to change anytime soon so you've uh you've mentioned uh cg comicsgate a few times so i take it that you're you're a proud member of comicsgate i i am yeah um yeah i so uh like i i guess my origin story for cg uh real quick is um my wife and I, towards the end of 2018, we, we took a meeting with IDW. And, um, you know, it, it quickly turned into the exact opposite experience that we wanted it to be. Um, yeah. y- you know, it was like, th- what I always say is like, as soon as he closed the door, like the first part of it was this like big tour of the offices and we were looking at all this original art over the wall and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And, um, you know, he closed the door and we sit down and he's like, first words out of his mouth, like, now, you know, none of us are doing this to get rich. And, you know, being kind of a, an indoctrinated starving artist at that point, you know, I was like, yeah, money, what's that? Like, just, you know, yeah. give me, the, give me the fucking book assignment. Yeah. Um, but, you know, on the drive home uh, and, you know, like there was, 
there was like the promise of an offer made and the offer wasn't a lot of money, like not even mm-hmm. enough to like cover rent for a month. Yeah. Um, and you know, by the time, by the time I got home that night, I was like, well, I, I want to be rich. Like I want to <laughs> make a living at this. Like I'm not <laughs> like, I don't want to be standing on the corner with a tin cup. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that night, like, we're we're on the couch and we have YouTube going and uh, there's there's a CG stream on and everyone's like having a good time and you know to go back to the club analogy I just realized like w- what am I doing like I'm I'm trying to get into a club that doesn't want me in doesn't want us in and even if I did get in like they wouldn't be willing or able to pay me enough to actually make a living so what am I doing you know and um, yeah, so jumping into the deep end with CG, I mean, everyone was really supportive, you know, um, everyone from people like Narwhal to John Malin to Ethan, like all these people who had no idea who the hell that I was or Selena was, my wife, yeah. um, you know, they just kind of helped us out. And then we found our audience and you know, our audience has been incredibly supportive across three projects now. So, yeah, I, I guess I am a proud member. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, you know, the interesting bit that I find about your story is the fact that, uh, you know, the guy starts off by saying, now, look, none of us are in this to get rich. And it's like, well, hold on. That's that's a double-edged sword of a, of a statement to make because he could be making it from the perspective of like, look, you're not going to become a millionaire, but you will make enough money to get by. And then there's the other side of it where it's like, we're not interested in money. We're interested in propaganda. Sure. Sure. I mean, it's, I I can see both sides of that, but the, um, what I would argue is the, the subtext, the undercurrent of the conversation was, um, you know, I'm trying to talk you into working at an extremely low page rate because mm. we don't we don't pay de- decent page rates. Um, y- you know, it's it, the the office itself was new at that point. It was a satellite office like they're actually based in uh, San Diego. So they had off- oh. opened up a satellite office here in Portland. Yeah, the the office space was incredibly expensive and unnecessary considering there was only one or two people that was actually working in there. Mm. Um, and so it, it, and you know, again, like the tour of the office itself, it's like, don't, don't show me this expensive place that you're operating out of that you don't need to be operating out of. And, you know, like wine and dine me with like all the art and like, like, Hey, look at these books. Don't, don't do that. And then in, in the next breath be like, so how about you work for sub poverty levels? You, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. We've got some comments here in the chat. The first one comes from poison paper who says most of my ideas and writing mojo come to me while I'm at work where I mm. can't write anything down, which sucks. Uh, Brianna says during dog walks for me, especially when it is foggy, raining, snowing or all three. And we have a question from Zachary who says, what distinguishes a good script from a bad one? I get new ideas everywhere I look and struggle to say this story will never be good. 
sorry, this story will never be good. No amount of tweaking will fix it. I think what he means mm. is, as he's confirmed here, um, a bad idea. When do you know when to abandon a bad idea? Uh, bad ideas. Um, well, I mean, it varies from idea to idea and creator to creator. I mean, you know, one idea in say like, you know, someone like a Scorsese's hand can like win him an Oscar and that same idea in like, you know, a, a lesser director can just be like, uh, like a direct to direct to in demand idea yeah. that like 10 people see and it's not really that good and you're just watching it because it's a lazy Sunday. Uh, yes. Um, but I, I, I'd say like the, the advice that I keep coming back to is advice that I got like really young into trying to do this professionally. Um, and I just brought it up the other day on another stream. Um, if you kind of have to like separate yourself from the idea for a moment and ask yourself if, if I saw this book on the stands and I had nothing to do with it, yeah. Would I would I spend my own money on it? And if you honestly answer yourself no, well, then it's not fair to ask other people to spend their money on it. Yeah, completely agree with that. Completely agree. I, I've noticed like there's there's a few times you've mentioned uh, movie directors, so I take it you're quite a, a big f a movie buff. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think. I think if I didn't have, you know, like the lifelong thing for comics that I do, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I probably would have tried to get into film. But again, like that, that world, if, if it took me a decade to like get stable in comics, like I can't imagine working in the, in the film world, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean, man. Uh, Bristodian Dave says, I think the best way to get rid of a bad idea for me is peer review. I get some people to read it and see if there is a, a consensus on the idea. Do you find that uh, with some of the ideas that, uh, that you have for some of your books that you do, do you run them by people first and see what the reaction is? Or do you, do you take that thing of like, no, I know this is good enough. I'm going to roll with it. Um, well with, uh, with Samurai and Dinosaurs, uh, that was a book that had been fully produced a few years before, you know, jumping into crowdfunding and CG. So, yeah. um, that that was just a thing of like, hey, would you read this? Do you think it's good? Uh, and I did yeah. that with some people, um, but mostly, mostly what I do is I try to run an elevator pitch past people, yeah. um, and if they go, if their reaction is like, oh, that you know, like if they're openly visually excited by it, hmm. then I know that I have something and you know, once I have something more concrete, like an outline or a script, you know, that's when I'll start sending it out to people for, uh, you know, opinions. Awesome. Awesome. So what would you say, what was the best money you ever spent as a writer? Mm. Um, there was, um, There was a documentary on uh, on Will Eisner. Uh, I think uh, I think it was called Will Eisner: Portrait of an Artist or something like that. I, yes. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yes. Um, that 
that was a really really good documentary and obviously like eisner is known as, you know for being a cartoonist but um i'd i'd also argue he was an incredible writer and there was a lot of um there's a lot of insight into him both as a person and as a creator uh that you know as an adult shaped me yeah. um and and i'd also running with the eisner thing um if i don't know if it's even still in print or not there's um there's a book that's just a collection of uh interviews that eisner and miller did you know because they were friends yeah yeah that that's another good one um if you just want insight into both of those guys but also want you know like i guess practical advice on like writing and making comics Hmm. awesome man awesome who are some of the other writers that uh that inspire you um definitely grant morrison uh Yeah, I'm. I mean, he's. I think for people in our age group, he's kind of a staple. Yes, yes, I'd agree with uh, that. Yeah, like I mean, I remember I was uh, I was 19, and I went to my first uh, Wizard World convention back in Chicago, um, mm. and and he was there, and it was it was kind of that like perfect moment where like you get exactly what you need as like you know a, like a, a teen about to become an adult. Where yeah. like I had to like stand in line a long time to talk to him, and uh, you know like I show him my portfolio, even though he's a writer, and like all he can do is say yes, this is good art, yes or no. But um, <laughs> but um, you know like so, you know I I got to talking to him and you know said that like I was you know starting at that point to like get into writing as well, and uh, you know like it, he was he was just the coolest dude. And I'm sure, like, it was just, like, the convention routine that you have to do when you're a professional. But he was yeah. like, well, I hope at the time he was still on JLA. And he was okay. like, well, I hope to see you writing JLA someday. And it was just that thing of, like, you know, hearing exactly what you needed to hear at the right age. Yes. Yes. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, man. So if, if uh, let's say that someone's just got into writing comics right mm-hmm. they've, they've literally just started they don't know what the fuck they're doing none of us did when we started right yeah, but, yeah. They, but they come to you asking mm-hmm. for some advice right now what bit of advice would you give them that you wish you knew when you started writing comics um it's easy to have an idea and it's difficult to see that idea through all the way to completion Oh God! Yes. Um, and uh, I've heard people like uh, Neil Gaiman say similar things, but I, I do agree that you should you should finish what you start. You know, mm-hmm. like what I was guilty of when I was younger is I would have an idea, I would start fleshing it out, and you know, a week later I had another four ideas, and so I'm branching off into those, and the first one gathers dust, and I never go back to it. Yeah. Um, finish what you start, even even if you don't like it, even if it's bad, even if you know you're not going to do anything with it, because finishing it is is a part of the journey, and it tells you what not to do. It informs you what you're doing wrong. Yes. Um, so I, I I'd say that's definitely step one. You know, I, I guess step two, you know, to to give a more practical answer. Um, 
if you're going to start writing a script, don't just dive into the script. Um, put together an outline. Like literally what I do is I just open up a WordPad file and I just number one through 22. And in one or two sentences for each page, you know, I say what happens on that page. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you can get to that point where you can force yourself to tell a story from beginning to end, um, then stuff like editing and scripting and dialoguing and revisions, all that stuff will start to come easier and easier to you. If you can mm -hmm. at least put together like a solid foundation to start with. Why do you think uh, some writers, because I can really relate to what you said about like you come up with the idea, you start it and then another idea comes along. So you start working on that and then the original idea kind of gets shelved for quite a long time, if not forever. Well, why, right. do, you, why do you think that's uh, such a common thing with writers, especially uh, writers who have only just started out? Um, I, you know, especially in in younger people or you know like right like you said writers who are just starting out i i think it's ultimately that thing of like um not wanting to commit to something that people might not like um so I, I don't yeah i don't want to label it as just a blanket like fear of rejection mm -hmm. um but i i think it's more so fear of like maybe discovering that I don't want to say that, that you don't have talent, but that you're not there yet, that you, that you need more work and refining before, yeah. before you're a, a competent writer. Um, I think that's what people tend to want to avoid. Like the, I, it's the same reason like people like sign up for the gym at the start of the year and you know, by March mm -hmm. they don't go anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, personally, I think for some people, it's because they don't realize how much work goes into writing, because there are a lot of people out there who aren't writers. Right. And when you sit down with them, they go, so, hey, what do you do? And you go, well, I, I write comics or I write novels. Their, their interpretation seems to be, so you do about half an hour's work once a month in your pajamas right. <laughs> kind right. of thing. And then when you're actually in the trenches you realize shit this is actually quite labor intensive having to write a book or having to even having to write a short story that goes across like eight pages of sequential art can mm -hmm. still be one hell of a task it can eat up a lot of your time i also think some of it has to do with ego you know yeah. like when when we get started our egos going you can do it man i believe in you and you're like yeah i can fucking do anything who needs to redraft first draft to be perfect who needs to plot that's for pussies kind of right. thing and then your ego takes one hell of a knock when you actually try to do it and realize shit mm -hmm. <laughs> this is not how i imagined it to be yeah that's the those are those are definitely aspects as well man and yeah they, there's nothing worse than uh, when you hand out something to be read by people and a, it takes them longer than a day or two to get back to you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and B when they do, like they start up with the whole, like, Oh, it's interesting. Like interesting mm -hmm. is code for this is absolutely terrible, but I'm not going to break your heart. <laughs> <laughs> or, or it's code for nah, it, it was average. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right and interesting is all i can muster to say <laughs> yes yes it's that whole thing of like i don't want to hurt your feelings but i don't want to lie to you either you right know? <laughs> right no like and uh, okay so there's there's another good piece of advice like surround yourself with people that are willing to hurt your feelings 
Yes, yes, absolutely. Because absolutely. When, you, you get nothing from being around yes men. Yeah. I mean, if you if you have at least three or four people that you know who will say, nah, this ain't done cooking. Um, yeah. when they do compliment you, you know you'll know that those compliments are genuine. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So on days where you're like, okay, I need to write, but I'm just not feeling it. I, you know, I'd rather turn on the TV or listen to some music or, or whatever. You'd rather do anything but write. Mm-hmm. What, what do you do to get yourself amped up and go, actually, I do want to write. Come on, let's do this. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to say fortunate, but I, I guess I'm in a position where since uh, I, I write and illustrate, you know, freelance professionally for a living, um, yeah. you, you kind of, you kind of have to like beat that part of you out of your head because, <laughs> you know, it, it's like, well, <laughs> if you don't do that, like greeting card design today, Mike, that you don't want to do, you don't eat. So yeah. um, hunger is a great motivating factor. Mm. Um, but, you know, as far as like, comics um sure like there are days where you just you don't want to touch it or you're not feeling it and if you have to like you know if if your artist needs another chunk of script pages um because you know that's their income um i'd um i i put together soundtracks for each of our books and I find a lot of times what happens uh, helps is like, just like, okay, sit at the desk. Like, okay. Are you actually at the desk? Mike? Okay. Um, and like, you know, I'll warm up with some emails and stuff and, you know, take care of the business stuff. And while I'm doing the business stuff, uh, I just have the soundtrack, you know, playing in the background. And mm-hmm. I find that by the time I'm done with the business stuff, like just listening to, the soundtrack has me in a place like, all right, fine, let's do this. And like, you know, like, I guess it's like turning over an engine. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say it's kind of um, a Pavlovian response almost. Sure. I do. I do something very similar with my books. I'll either, they'll either be a particular song or a particular album, or I'll put together a playlist. And whenever Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of that idea or I'm just like developing the story or developing the characters i have those songs on repeat continuously so that whenever like i get up and i'm thinking oh man i'm just not feeling it today i put i put that playlist on i put that album on or that song and within a few seconds of just hearing like those opening few bars i'm like oh man i'm down i am so into this right now yeah yeah um you know like so with um with uh, God's Fear Me and Deep Well and and the Red Key, like each of those series are going to be three issues, and um, mm-hmm. I I kind of know with each of them like what the very last shot is at the very end of book three, mm-hmm. um, and they each have like songs that go along with that moment, yeah. and if I'm if I'm really having a hard time like going uh, playing one of those depending on what book it is. Playing one of those, you know, definitely gets me to that point of like, all right, all right, like, I need to do this because I need to see this through to the end because I want to see the art. I want to hold the book. You know, I, I guess it's that it's that thing of like uh, when when someone's running a marathon and, uh, you know, they're they're having that midpoint, like just wanting to crash. Yes. 
Um, and but then but then you show them the finish line like a mile down the road, and they're like, "All right, all right, all right." <laughs> right, we got some more people in the chat. Zachary says, "To get myself to write, I go to a coffee shop away from distractions and just my notebook. Menu with a cake in front of me. If I write and finish." Th- and finish this i can have that cake then i go home motivated which is a really good way of doing things zachary yeah yeah and yeah. we also have ash and jackal who says hello lucifer and mike busy today but have a like and i'll catch you both on the rewind thank you for joining us ever so briefly ash and jackal we also have poisoned paper who says something that i've heard a few other people say before my mum said it was good <laughs> <laughs> well that's her job Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, Zachary also says, training your brain like it's a dog, writing gets you a reward. My reward being coffee and a slice of cake every time I write. It, seriously, that is such a good thing to do, like rewarding yourself, because if you don't see a reward from it, like, I mean, sure. y- you you write you write a comic and some people would think that the re- the reward is you see it in print. You get to hold the physical thing in your hand and go, I wrote this. Mm-hmm. But when you realize it takes more than an afternoon to write the comic and have it illustrated and lettered and all that jazz, you yeah. need to start finding those little rewards that you can give yourself at the end of each day. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And, you know, like, I guess the difference between, you know, what, what we're doing, be it CG or just being an independent publisher and like mm-hmm. the, the mainstream is if you're a writer in the mainstream, you can write something and then three months later it's in your hands. Yeah. Um, but for us, you know, like I wrote the gods fear me like a year and a half ago and mm-hmm. I'm just going to be seeing it in April, like beginning of March yeah you know like so it's it's definitely a prolonged thing of like you're you're not going to get that moment that satisfactory moment of uh holding the book in your hands for a long time so you you yes. have to stretch that out with like you know taking uh excitement from like seeing pages come in from the artist and then you know like in my case i'm the colorist so like seeing a finished colored page like those have to be like little reward landmarks that you set up for yourself throughout production. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And when you're writing and drawing the book as well, it mm-hmm. takes even longer to see that book come to fruition. Because if I, oh, was, yeah. if, if I was just writing my books, which I would like it to be that way one day, but that just isn't an option right now. Then sure. I know I can write a book and once it's finished, whilst I'm waiting for those pages, I can write another book and Mm -hmm. speak to another artist about it but i can't do that i've literally got to write that book and then i've got to draw it and i'm an asshole to myself when it comes to being an artist i I, like i don't sit there and go i'll give myself an eight page story that'll be fine be like no here's that epic 300 page saga (laughs) right 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 yeah i'm i'm in the same boat man i mean i would love to yeah like i'd love to do like what narwhal does where it's like just Mm. like you are the sole creator um but I, A, I'm slow as hell as an artist. Um, <laughs> you, you know, like, I can barely keep, keep up with my deadlines as a freelance artist. Yeah. Um, so if I wrote and drew something myself, it would never come out. And um, 
B, I, I've just, I've been lucky that I've, you know, made friendships and come into contact with a whole bunch of like really talented illustrators. Yeah. yeah. Um, so while you do take the financial hit because, you know, like, like people see like a successful crowdfunded campaign and they go like, Oh, look at that money. And it's like, yeah, but that's not really your money. Like a third yeah. of it is for printing and fulfillment and, yeah. you know, like X amount of it goes to the artist so that they can actually draw it. Like you, you take that financial hit, but um, you know, for us it's worth it. Like actually seeing the work come in and then holding the book itself. Yeah. Plus when you see that successful Indiegogo campaign, I mean, if, if we take Ethan, for example, because he's the one that probably people see the most, <clears throat> he, sure. he puts, he puts out a cyber frog book. It hits like close to a million, if not a million, and you mm -hmm. think, wow, I can fucking do that too. And what we seem to forget is Ethan is the exception to the rule. A majority sure. of campaigns, you know, they'll hit their goal and then go over it some. You know, you might see right. a campaign that's got a goal of 10 grand and it hits about 20 grand. But there's mm -hmm. also a fair few campaigns that set up a goal, some of them very low, and they mm -hmm. never make that goal. So that's always something that we need to like keep in mind as well. Sure. I mean, you know, like, it's, it's something like what Ethan does is definitely the brass ring, and you should be aiming for it. Oh, um, yeah. But, you know, that's an example of, like, that's, that's, a, that's a rare confluence of, you know, 27 years worth of experience. Yes. Uh, you know, he, he's incredibly talented as an artist, and, you know, he... It, it's not radio, but he's basically a radio personality. Like <laughs> he's, he's, he's enjoyable to listen to people like watching him uh, do what he does. And, hmm. you know, all those things confluence into what those cyber frog campaigns have become. Um, so, you know, like here, like a third bit of advice for like people who are looking to get into this, like, yeah, you have to focus on your craft. Yeah, you have to focus on delivering a, a rock-solid book. But also start start figuring out what you like talking about. Start figuring out uh, if you're if you have a radio voice, so to speak, like if you're good yeah. on camera. Start figuring that stuff up now and start trying to build a brand for yourself across social media, because just reaching out to like, Hey, do you like comics? Like that audience is really, really narrow. And if, if you want a huge base of readers, you're going to have to put yourself out there. You're going to have to constantly be producing content on places like YouTube and Twitter. And you need to put yourself out there. So you need to get comfortable with that aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, which means that you have to not only think about when you're going to write and how long you're going to write for every day, you also have to think about what your content is going to be on your YouTube channel or on your Facebook page or whatever and plan that stuff in advance and prepare right. time to, to make that stuff, edit that stuff, upload it, have a, have a regular schedule. There's a lot more to this game than I think a lot of people realize. Yeah, I mean, you know, like like Malin always says, like, you know, what you see with some of the larger Indiegogo campaigns is, you know, that number, but what you, what you don't, or I should say what a lot of people don't take into account is like, you know, how many, 
hours a week do those guys stream and put out content for free. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge investment. And I understand, you know, if like you're just starting or you're on your like second project or whatever, you're not in a position where you can invest that much time because you probably have a day job and other responsibilities. Um, but you know, if, if, if you want to expand your audience little by little, you're going to have to figure out ways to like sneak out some time to build up that presence. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And one thing, like I think people have to come to terms with very early on. And I think the best way it was presented to me was, uh, through my friend, Kurt, who's the lead singer of a band called secondhand child. Um, okay. they did a, they did a song for the movie later S two. And he explained it to me as you've got to accept very early on that the art that you make, it's going to take you days to make it, weeks to make it, months to make it. And the person consuming it, it's going to take them a few seconds to a few minutes. Right. You, ha you have to come to terms with that very early on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, and that definitely applies to crowdfunding. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to shows that are built purely to promote projects, like yeah. how many people are watching that are going to look at your project for, say, four or five minutes, and in that four or five minutes, like, decide the, the worth of it, and it ultimately comes down to yes or no. Uh, yeah. And meanwhile, like, you've worked on it for, like, four or five months just to get to the point where the page is up and running. Like, yeah, exactly. but that's what it is, man. That's what it is. That's just that's how people operate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Critical Blast says Ethan makes <clears throat> winning the lottery look easy. You just scratch a ticket and take home money, something anybody can do, right? And right, I think that's such a good point to make. Yeah, I mean, but you know, a, a, again, like it's it's like with anything, right? Like you just see the surface level. Um, what you don't see is, you know, rewind, you know, almost 30 years to him being in the exact same position that you were trying to get into DC comics and like, you know, like uh, his entire trajectory as a creator, like, yeah. um, he put in his time and it's been 30 years and like, you know, he was smart about his career and now yeah. this is what he gets for playing it smart. Yeah. Um, I, you know, like. Like Malin always describes it as uh, putting yourself on a five-year plan, and mm -hmm. I, I've tried to stick with that. And we're two years in now, and it's it seems to be working for us. You know, awesome. each each project we have a a bigger reader base, yeah. and I, I'm hoping that remains true with the Red Key. So, you know, don't just think of it in terms of like I'm going to do this book. And it's yeah. going to like make me rich and famous. Like look at your career in terms of like, okay, here's a five year arc for me. Uh, what landmarks do I have to hit over that arc so that at the end of the five years, I'm in a stable place where I can actually do this, you know, for a living. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where do you think the, the future of, of the <clears throat> independent comic book scene is going? Um, I mean, for, for the foreseeable future, I see it continuing to grow. Um, you, you know, like you definitely come across, uh, people who are, you know, uh, bitter or 
resentful towards some creators because like, yeah. well, like they make it an issue of like stealing the spotlight or, you know, um, kind of tailoring, tailoring the audience to like be interested in their stuff and nothing else. And it's like, I, I, I don't see the pie as being limited. I see it as there's room for everyone at the table. You just have to bring your a game to the table. Um, yeah. I I think as long as we all keep producing work that is better than what the mainstream has to offer us, I think we will continue to see success. Um, now, and my wife and I were just talking about this last night, you know, I, as much as I love comics and they've always been a part of my life, you know, I've accepted that they're being produced by people who are making them for the worst reasons possible. Yeah. And, you know, that's why, especially, you know, in American publishing, like that's why companies like Marvel and DC are in the state that they're in. Hmm. And as a, as a fan, I, I want to see them improve. But again, if I'm being honest, like as a, as a professional, as, as someone who hires artists, uh, to produce work for him, I want to see them continue to stumble and, <laughs> and make all the wrong decisions. Yeah, it's a very conflicting kind of feeling, uh, and I completely get get where you're coming from because you want people to come to your work and be like, "Oh, this is so much better." But at the same time, it's like, "Yeah, but without these guys, I probably wouldn't be sat where I am now." Yeah, I mean, you know, and and the end result is as long as they keep stumbling, the, mm. the audience that wants that entertainment is going to come to us. So yeah. I don't know, man, like I, I, I guess I long for the days of healthy competition from them, but yeah. I'm not really seeing it. Like if Marvel and DC specifically were producing books that everybody wanted to read, I don't know that we'd be in the position that we're in right now. So I guess I'm yeah. I'm grateful for it in a way. <laughs> yeah, I, I get where you're coming from, man. Yeah. So as a comic book creator, mm -hmm. you can you you can't choose both. You can only choose one of these two. Would you rather be successful or great? Would you rather be that creator that you know you can put out a lot of stuff and you can make a lot of money from it, or would you rather be that creator that puts out a small handful of books? but they will be remembered and talked about many decades after, after your time on this planet is done. Um, and I heard you like, you can't choose both. Like again, my knee jerk reaction, <laughs> my, my knee jerk reaction is both. Uh, <laughs> but, but like, but no, okay. I'll, I'll be practical about it. Um, what I'd say is, if it was if it was two years ago and Clark, my son, wasn't wasn't a factor, uh, I'd say I would take you know the handful of books that maybe don't sell that much, but they'll be remembered. Yeah. Um, but now now that I'm closing in on forty and I have a son, uh, no success. Like because success means that this is sustainable. Yeah. He and my wife are taken care of and 
I can continue to hire more artists and produce more books. Cool. Cool, man. That's fair enough. That's absolutely fair enough. I completely understand where you're coming from. Things definitely do change when you're like, well, hold on, I've got a family to, to look right. after here. I've got to think about them as well. If you had to describe uh, your work in mm-hmm. three words or less, well, actually three words, no more, no less. Okay. What would those three words be and why? <clears throat> Um, mature Mm -hmm. because most of the work ends up being mature. Like, I I think if there was a scale, uh, it would definitely in the long term, like, be weighted down on the mature side of things. Yeah. Um, exciting because. Mm My my top priority as a writer is to give something that's entertaining. Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely, I definitely want to make you feel something. I definitely want to get ideas and concepts across, but I don't want you lost in all of that. I want you entertained. Yeah. And um, hmm. uh. I guess a a third word hyphenated would be mashup because what I'm what I find is I I think one of my strongest aspects as a writer is I'm good at taking two concepts that seemingly don't go together and figuring out a way to pair them. Um, okay. And and I remember I've talked about this a few times like um I think that started when I was a teenager and I saw From Dusk Till Dawn. Yes, what a great movie. Yeah, right? Um, Like, my brain, my young brain at that point couldn't get over the fact that, like, somehow this is both a crime movie and a vampire horror movie, like, all in one. And I think in my subconscious, like, there's a part of me that's, like, always stuck with that. I mean... You know, like there's there's samurai and dinosaurs. Um, There's uh, the gods fear me, which is like a Lovecraftian cyberpunk story. Mm. And even with Deepwell, like it's not a straight up Western. Like it's one part vigilante action story, like something along the lines of like Jonah Hex. Um, Mm. But it's also this like you know Shakespearean family drama. So. I, I find even when I'm trying not to do it, I'm usually like pairing, pairing two different genres together. Awesome, man. Awesome. I, I love stories that pair two different genres together. I mean, you've mentioned From Dusk Till Dawn, which is such a great movie. I remember yeah. the first time I saw that when I was younger, I was like, you can do that with a story? Not realizing yeah, right? I, I, I'd seen it kind of happen before. Because I think like the best part of that movie is when mm-hmm. uh, George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino... They, they start that movie thinking, yeah, we're the leads in a gangster movie kind of thing. We're in a crime movie. And then all of a sudden yep. they have that realization of, shit, we're in a horror movie. What the <laughs> fuck's going on? But like, exactly. you, you get that with Predator as well. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger thinks like, you know, we're in like a military war action movie. And then all of a sudden, oh shit, we're in a stalk and slash movie. What the fuck happened? Yeah. It, and, you know, again, like in both cases, like two of my favorite movies. And, um, mm-hmm. I, I guess with predator, like, cause I, 
well, I saw it way younger than I should have. Um, I, I guess it's that thing of like, because it was like a part of my childhood, like it, mm. it, it's this fully formed thing that like, I didn't really dissect till I was an adult. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, that's definitely another case of like, though that is two movies stitched together right down the middle and it <laughs> works perfectly. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. We're going to be uh, finishing up in just a second because we've just gone over the hour mark. I, I try to keep these things down to an hour. Sometimes I succeed. Sometimes I don't. Yeah, uh, no problem. So, so there's there's two questions left. And these are ones that I'm sure you get asked by like most people when they're asking you questions and stuff. So the first one being is, do you believe in writer's block? And if you do, what do you like to do to overcome writer's block? Um, well, a- again, for me specifically, I, d- I don't have the luxury of writer's block. Um, yep. But but I- I've definitely had it. Um, okay. a- aside from the whole music thing that we talked about earlier, um, mm. I think... I, I think what writer's block ultimately is, is a lack of inspiration. Yeah. Um, I often refer to stuff like creativity as a sponge mm. uh, or your brain as a sponge. Um, yeah. Sometimes it can get dry and you got to like, you know, fill it up with water all over again. Yeah. Um, I think in moments like that, and when I, when I say give into it, I don't mean like just just piss away like a week. But if you're feeling that, give into it. Like watch a movie that really inspires you. Read a book. Um, someone mentioned it in the chat earlier. Like walking often helps. I, I don't know what it is about the, the unconscious thing, but there's something in walking that yes. kind of like mentally clears the cobwebs. Yeah. Um, do one of those three things and usually at some point in there um your brain will go like oh i want to start creating stuff again yeah yeah definitely with walking i mean i found out it wasn't last year but the year before charles dickens when he <clears throat> he would walk a minimum of around 20 25 miles a day and wow. ev- and every time he walked he would be writing whilst he did it he always had a little notebook out writing away so there's definitely something to be said for that yeah, uh, absolutely. Zach, zachary in the chat has a question for both of us he says okay. if you if you could is there anything you'd change or do differently during your career as a writer i'm gonna let you take that one um i would have i would have focused less on trying to do everything by myself um right. You know, like, it was over the past, like, 15 years that we've been doing this um, and putting together, like, submission packages for companies and all that, the the routine. Um, I I spent too long thinking that I could realistically do it all by myself. And, again, that's where that whole thing comes in of, like, I'm just, as an illustrator, I'm functional, but I'm not the best, and I'm extremely slow. So... I think I would have admitted to myself earlier on, like, look, like you're, you're a competent writer. You know what you're doing as a writer. Just find the artists, 
just commit to working with them earlier on. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it would simply be the case of, you know, there's been a couple of people I've worked with in the past and it's ended up fucking me over. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I would just not work with those people. If I knew at the time, I just wouldn't have worked with those people. But hindsight's twenty twenty. at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, if, if we're doing the whole, like, if I knew then what I knew now thing, like, yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah. oh, man, <laughs> there's like a handful of people that have been like, Mike, don't don't even just don't do it yeah yeah absolutely i think apart from that the only thing i would change if i could and i'm not even sure that i would because i'm kind of like happy the way things have been going for me so far there's Mm -hmm. there's there's always going to be that thing no matter where you are in your career where you're like oh i wish i could get a break in this aspect so that it can just leap forward just that little bit in its trajectory or whatever but in all honesty i think it would be i would have learned how to like write a proper story earlier Mm -hmm. than i did sure because i because i was someone who jumped into it and went i can do this i can do this and then very quickly learned no i fucking can't i need to learn shit so i did right Uh, whereas if i could change that i would have learned all the storytelling stuff a few years before so that when i jumped in and said i can do this i would have had evidence to back it up (laughs) exactly yeah i i i'm certainly guilty of it and i think a a lot of younger writers uh deal with this too i think when you're first starting out as a writer um it's this thing where you're 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 like chasing new ideas and you're like you know fleshing out these like long elaborate scenes and like scripting all this stuff out and meanwhile like you don't even have like uh, a solid structure like (laughs) like there was this like werewolf and vampire book that i was working on with another person back in college and it's like if you had asked us in the middle of production on that thing like yeah but what's the end of your story? Like we would have been like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like ending uh, <laughs> who, who needs an ending. <laughs> look at all this cool stuff that I'm making. And you're like, yeah, it's cool, but it's just stuff. Like yeah. it, it has to be a story. <laughs> yeah. Where, where's, where's the coherent threads that work through the story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> cool, man. So, so the last question I, tend to ask everyone this do you believe that there's much truth in the idea of the tortured artist and by that i mean you know that there are some books you can pick up like i said there are some books you can pick up that you read them and you go meh it you know it's not bad but it's not great either it's not really good it's just it's there you kind of get to the end of it and go well that was a book you know that's all you can really say about it but there are other ones that you pick up and they they just wow you. They leave you in awe. So, do you believe that there's a possibility that the ones that really stand out, the ones that capture you, make you go, "Wow, this is incredible"? Do you believe that there that that person could possibly have been, or or still is, a tortured artist in some shape or form? Um. I guess I would get I guess I would say in some cases yes but also in some cases I think it's a torture of their own making um like my mind goes to because we're talking comics like my mind immediately goes to Alan Moore right yeah and and it's like 
Yeah, I mean, it, without argument, like, full stop, like, the dude's a genius. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but he also has all of these ideologies and rigid outlooks on reality and the way life should be that kind of impedes him from actually a being a working professional and, and B just enjoying his life as a professional. You you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, like I I just want to like, I I just want to meet Alan Moore and be like, dude, like calm down. Like, Shit's not that bad. Like, <laughs> like I, I, you, I can understand that. Like you wrote Watchmen. Like you wrote Watchmen, and not just Watchmen. Like basically everything you write, people are like, "Oh, well, that's a classic." Like you've got From Hell, you've got the whole uh, ABC line. Mm-hmm. Um, like you have all these things that you've done throughout your career. And and you could not be more miserable. And I think a lot of that is because of, like I said, all these rigid ideologies that he has, like, kind of his brain, like, you know, encased in. Yeah. And I mean, Watchmen was, what, 1986 when yeah. that first hit the stands. And ever since then, most people have been trying to make their Watchmen. Right, like right. you know, that's that's a pretty impressive feat, even if it has kind of hindered and harmed the industry to a certain extent. The fact that people appreciate your work that much that every book they work on, they want it to be the next Watchman. There are people out there who have got multiple copies of Watchmen, myself included, mm-hmm. and they've also got that great book, Watching the Watchman, that goes through the process of what. Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons went through in order to make that book. And it's a fucking stunning book. I heard um, Ed Piscor and Jim Rugg from Cartoonist Kayfabe describe yeah, it yeah. As, as, as one half of a blueprint to write a masterpiece. Sure. Yeah, I'd, like, I'd agree with that, man. You know, how, how can you walk away from that and go, yeah, still fucking miserable, right? <laughs> yeah, be, because it, because again, like his brain goes to like, well, but they're taking the wrong lessons from it. That's not what I was trying to. And it's like mm. some of them, yes, some of them, like because humanity is humanity. Like some people yeah. are going to take the wrong lessons from what you were doing, but the fact still remains. Like you're one of the rare individuals on the planet that have left an imprint on an entire industry. Like, yeah. like you know, have a coke and a smile, man. <laughs> <laughs> Pat yourself on the back. Go on, you deserve it, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, Mike. Listen, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and I am almost certain, almost. You know, there's just that tiny little one percent. I don't know. It's completely up to you. The ball is in your court. But I would love to have you on the show again sometime. Uh, it was a pleasure hanging out, man, and I'm happy to anytime. Awesome, man. Awesome. You keep me up to date on like your, your releases and your campaigns and stuff. All right. Because ho- hopefully next time we can kind of like time it so it's it's in time of like one of your campaigns launching or something. Yeah. I mean, like as we get closer to uh, the red key, I'll definitely be in touch. 
yeah yeah awesome man awesome and everyone who's been watching thank you so much for watching and thank you so much for joining in with the chat and i just want to remind you you can find links to where mike is on social media in the description box down below you will also find a link to the in demand uh, on indiegogo for uh deep well the caliber of death as well as the link to my current indiegogo campaign for lady satan an angel in a killer's dress i will be back with another one of these streams i'm scheduled for one on sunday but i can't tell anyone who the guest is just yet i've got to wait till nearer the time to make sure that they can still do it if they can't then i probably won't be back on sunday but i'll be back this the following sunday where i've got john hervey from magna the last pantheon uh joining us which will be awesome that guy is so interesting can't wait to have him on the show and until yeah, next time day. guys yes he certainly is man and until next time guys you take care of yourselves Take care of each other, but most importantly, stay safe and stay awesome.